0: and welcome to another broadcast of sunshine usa i'm warren landis and i'm your host and bible teacher here on sunshine usa and i want to say especially uh, a great hello to all of our listeners on anchor fm and also on spotify (laughs) as well as some of the other platforms we use here at sunshine usa and uh, in our last uh, broadcast we concluded study of Daniel and Daniel by the way was the last of the major prophets so far all of the prophets that we've studied so far have been major prophets now the major prophets just in case you wanted to know who they were they were Isaiah Jeremiah Lamentations Ezekiel and Daniel those are the major prophets it's Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel. Now, the minor prophets, and we're going to be starting those next, beginning with Hosea. We have Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Those are the minor prophets. Now, if you're doing the arithmetic, we have five major prophets and 12 minor prophets. Now, here's a good question for you. What is the difference? What is the difference between a major prophet and a minor prophet? What is the difference between a major prophet and a minor prophet? You know, I can remember as a little boy in Sunday school, we... We actually studied <laughs> the major and minor prophets. And uh, we had to list the books of the Bible and what type of book it was. We had the major prophets and the minor prophets. We had the wisdom literature. We had the poetry literature. And we had to, we, we studied all this. I had a very good Sunday school teacher <laughs> growing up as a child, very detailed. But uh, we never did talk much when I was a kid about the difference between a major prophet and a minor prophet. Now, some people erroneously think that a major prophet is a major prophet because what they had to say was more important, and that's not true. The major prophets are called major prophets simply because of the fact they wrote more and they spoke more. They had more to say. But not necessarily was it true that what they said was more important, for example, than what a minor prophet had to say. So uh, that's something to keep in mind. And um, we're going to see, beginning with the first minor prophet that we study, Hosea, uh, we're gonna see that Hosea, for example, talks about Uh, Israel being the unfaithful bride. And to illustrate this, Hosea had an unfaithful wife. Now, we're going to talk a little bit more about that in detail when we get into our study of Hosea. And we'll start our study of Hosea in the next broadcast. And we're going to talk about how he got that unfaithful wife. But it served as a good illustration in one sense of the word because God considers Israel the unfaithful bride. And then we have the book of Joel. Now Joel uh, says that judgment precedes Israel's spiritual revival. Now we talk about, uh, we have already talked about in Daniel's prophet how Daniel had prophesied that in the end, that is, by the time we get to the end of tribulation, and by the time we get to the beginning of the millennial kingdom, uh, there will be this national revival in Israel. Israel, as a nation, will accept Christ as the Messiah. But we find that Joel is saying that before that happens, there's going to be judgment. There's going to be judgment. There's no way around it. Now, you know, when I think about the fact that God did not allow, that God did not allow um, the Israelites to be spared judgment, uh, and I think about all the sin and corruption we have going on in America today, and other countries today. And I think, how can God let us get away with it if he didn't let his chosen people, Israel, get away with it? Uh, I was watching a television show. Well, I say I watched a television show. I watched the first minute of it, and I turned the channel. Uh, some of the stuff you see on television these days, it, it's just sinful to the core. I mean, I'm seeing more and more TV shows being advertised as being about the supernatural and the demonic world. Uh, A lot of emphasis on the occult. It's just the way things are today. You know, uh, God told Noah he was going to destroy the world because of sin and I think what we have going on in America and other countries today is so sinful it, it rivals the wickedness that Noah had to preach against in his day amen so that is what Joel has to say now by the way Hosea it is estimated prophesied um, uh, 75 to 15, and we're talking about uh, BC Isaiah. Um Now I, I think that means 755 BC to maybe 715 BC. I had to clarify that because I know that would be too long for any one man to cover. So basically he prophesied from, uh, let me get my glasses here. (laughs) That might help. That's that's one of the things about live radio. (laughs) You hear it as it's happening. But he uh, prophesied, Hosea did, 755 BC to 715 BC. And then we have Joel prophesying uh, from roughly 835 BC to 796 BC. Now you know it's interesting that the Old Testament prophets, really both the Old Testament prophets, and I mean both the major prophets and the minor prophets, we find that the prophets were predicting stuff that was going to happen in the New Testament. For example, we find that every aspect of the life of Christ in the New Testament was actually predicted by prophets in the Old Testament hundreds of years before it even happened. And that's just incredible. Now, by the way, one of the tests of a prophet was that their prophecies came true. If a prophet said something and it didn't come true, they were labeled as a false prophet. And the penalties for being a false prophet were quite severe. And then we have Amos. Amos was a farmer, an agricultural man, And it's interesting, uh, Amos was not a lifetime prophet. He was in the farming business before he did his prophecy, and then after his prophecy, he went back to the farming business. And so that's something else to think about. Some of these prophets were not necessarily what we would consider to be full-time preachers today. Some of them were part-time, and some of them, Uh, did ministry for a certain part of their life and then went back to other things. Now, today, here in America, we have a growing uh, number of bivocational ministers. Now, these are ministers who are fully credentialed ministers, but in addition to pastoring a church, they may also have a job at the factory. You see, they're bivocational. We know, for example, that Paul made tents. That's how he financially supported himself. Amen. (laughs) And then we find that Amos points out that God is just and must judge sin. God is just and must judge sin. You see, in other words, it's God's nature to judge sin. And God has to judge sin because he's holy. And then we have Obadiah. Obadiah says that some retribution must overtake merciless pride. So Ob- Obadiah is a minor prophet dealing with the sin of pride that he prophesies around 848 B.C. <laughs> now, the interesting thing about that is it seems that his ministry Probably did not span more than a year. Now, once again, that didn't keep what he had to say from being important. I mean, look at Jesus. I mean, Jesus worked many more years as a carpenter than he did as a preacher-teacher. You know, um, Jesus was a carpenter from about age 12 all the way to age 30. And then during... His earthly ministry, that went from about age 30 for him to age 33. Um, so it's not the length of your ministry that says anything about you. It's, it's obviously what you have to say. Um, we find, though, that Jesus did more in three years than many preachers today do in a whole lifetime. Amen. Okay, then, we come to Jonah. Now, no doubt, many of you have read about Jonah. Some of you, if you went to Sunday school, you heard Sunday school lessons on Jonah. And Jonah was often referred to as the reluctant prophet. Now, we understand that Jonah was a very pride-filled man. Uh, Jonah had a lot of love for his country, the country of Israel, and rightfully so. And Nineveh, they were Gentiles. They were a Gentile people. And they were considered enemies of the Jews. And so Jonah had no real desire to preach the word of the Lord in Nineveh. But God said, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. And, of course, Jonah tries to run away from that assignment. God prepares a a whale or a great fish. Now, you know, when I was in seminary, we spent a lot of time debating (laughs) whether that was a great big fish, especially made for Jonah, or was it a whale? We don't know. But anyway, God had a way of getting Jonah's attention. That's exactly what he did. And then, after Jonah, we, we, by the way, we see that Jonah preached and God spared judgment. Now, you see, the interesting thing is, that's exactly what Jonah knew God would do. You see, God knew, I mean, Jonah knew that God is a merciful God and that God will spare judgment if people just turn from their sins. If they repent, God will spare judgment. And so what happened there was exactly what Jonah thought would happen, and it's what always happens, and that is when you repent, when you get right with the Lord, God withholds judgment. Now, by the way, it's interesting to note, and we'll see this again in a few minutes, Um Jonah is actually one of two minor prophets that had a message for Nineveh. One of the prophets coming after Jonah also told Nineveh that there was pending doom. Now, since this prophet came afterwards, and we'll talk about him in a minute, it indicates that even though Nineveh repented, it probably didn't last long. You know, I can think of some revivals in my day. And, you know, I'm 67 going on 68 years old. Uh, I've seen a lot of revivals in my day, and I've seen people make decisions at a revival meeting. And a few months later, they totally reneged on that decision. I, I remember at the church where I was ordained, we had a young man who made a decision to, uh, to uh, uh, go into the ministry. He made that decision during a revival meeting, and before the next revival meeting, he totally renewed on that decision. He actually surrendered his ordination certificate. Now, of course, I don't know his heart. If God didn't call him into the ministry, then he shouldn't have gone into the ministry. But he should have made sure of that before he made that commitment. I mean, that's just my opinion. Okay, now we come to Micah. And Micah is the minor prophet that predicted that Bethlehem would be the place where the Messiah would be born and he would be mankind's deliverer. And so when... We read about Jesus in the New Testament being born in Bethlehem. That's one of many areas of Jesus' life that was predicted in advance by one of the Old Testament prophets. Now, bearing in mind, Micah lives 740 B.C. to about 690 B.C. That's the date of his ministry, approximate date. Now, these dates that I'm giving you are approximate. They are not exact. For most of these prophets, there is not enough content in their writings to give us a better understanding about when they were wrote. But we find that Micah made his prediction about the Messiah um, in 740 B.C. to 690 B.C., And once again, we have to understand these are approximate dates. Uh, These are the dates as best we can figure out. Then we come to Nahum. Now, Nahum is another prophet that had a word from the Lord for the people of Nineveh. And that word was that doom is to descend upon wicked Nineveh. Now, once again... Since we're a little bit uncertain about the dates, we don't know whether uh, um, Nahum is talking about the wickedness that Nineveh had before Jonah came along, or if we're talking about wickedness here that took place sometime after the people of Nineveh had repented. by the way, the dates for Nahum are 630 BC to about 612 BC. By comparison, Jonah was 780 BC to 750 BC, so it appears that Jonah was actually, I mean, Nahum was closer to the time of Christ, so it appears that really and truly God sent two different prophets to Nineveh to warn them. And they then finally repented after Jonah came along. But Jonah actually appears that Jonah came along first, and then, so I still say it looks like to me that the people of Nineveh were wicked. They repented, they got right with the Lord, and then they went back on that commitment. That's as near as I can figure out. But once again we're we're not able to pin down the dates with precision and so we just don't know for sure. And then we have Habakkuk. And Habakkuk focuses on the message, justification by faith is God's way of salvation. Justification by faith is God's way of salvation. Now we think of that As being one of the teachings of the New Testament, but apparently we find that Habakkuk took the position that faith, justification by faith, is also God's way of salvation. And so there's really no way you could be a believer without faith whether you lived in Old Testament times or New Testament times. Amen? Amen. Then we come to Zephaniah, and his message was the day of the Lord must precede kingdom blessing. Um, The day of the Lord must precede kingdom blessing. Now, we know, of course, the the kingdom uh, of God, the millennial kingdom, this is going to come after the tribulation period. But, of course, during that tribulation period, we have what is called the day of the Lord. This is where the enemies of God and the enemies of Israel once and for all are destroyed and we find that Zephaniah is saying the day of the Lord must precede kingdom blessing. Now he prophesied 625 B.C. to about 610 B.C. And then we come to Haggai. And Haggai, who prophesied about 520 B.C., so once again his ministry was extremely short, probably not lasting more than a year, And he said, the Lord's temple and interests deserve top priority. The Lord's temple, along with uh, interests, deserve top priority. We find that the Israelites, because of their sin and their wickedness, they'd actually gotten away from the practice of worshiping in the temple. Or if they went to the temple, sometimes they worshipped their idols instead of worshipping the one true and living God. But here we find that the prophet Haggai is saying, look, God's temple is important and you need to not neglect it. Uh, We need to get that message out today. One of the things we find today is that um, uh, people today are getting away from church. Now, this actually started long before now, but it started, I believe, two years ago in earnest when people were either forbidden to go to church or they chose not to go to church, and they haven't gotten back into the habit of going to church. Um some pastors today will tell you ever since the pandemic broke out, uh, people have not returned. They, they stopped coming to church and they haven't started back yet. But church is important. Uh, the last several Sundays, I've been in church myself. In fact, I was counting it up to today. I've been in church all but two Sundays. And one Sunday that I didn't go was a Sunday where it snowed and we didn't have services the other Sunday that I missed was a Sunday um, where I didn't have a way to go to church my transportation didn't work out Uh, you see I don't have a car so for me to go to church somebody has to give me a ride to church and that particular Sunday I didn't have a ride but still in spite of all that I've been to church all but two Sundays this year so far. And then we have Zechariah. Now, Zechariah was a minor prophet who said, the Lord will remember his people Israel. The Lord will remember his people Israel. And let me say this, God has not forgotten Israel to this day. And let me also say, God is not finished with the nation of Israel. As I've indicated before, During the tribulation period, Israel will return to the Lord as a nation. They will accept Christ as the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. And that, of course, is very exciting to realize that God is not finished with Israel. It also lets us know God is faithful and just to live up to all the promises that he has made. And you know, God, in his word, when you take the Old Testament, New Testament, we find quite a few promises that God has made. And God is one who keeps his word. Now, sometimes we as human beings, we don't always keep our word, regretfully. But God will always do what he says. Now, some of the promises that God made are conditional. That's where God says, "Okay, if you do this, then I will do this. (laughs) You know, when God talked in Chronicles about revival, he said, if you will do this, then I will hear your prayer and do that. So some promises that God gives us are actually conditional. For example, you take the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel today does not possess all of the land that God promised to Abraham. When we look at the land that God promised to Abraham, that includes a lot of territory that Israel does not have today. Now, one of the reasons Israel has never fully occupied all of that land is because of sin. But one of these days, we find that Israel will return to the Lord once and for all, and God will fulfill his promise, and Israel will occupy all of the land that God originally promised Abraham. Now, you know, it's, it's interesting, you know, people get upset with Israel about the land that Israel has today. But like I say, in reality, God has promised Israel a whole lot more land than what she has today and one day she will have it praise the lord and then we come to malachi now malachi is the last prophet of the old testament he was a minor prophet and his message was let the wicked be warned by the certainty of judgment now, um, he prophesied between 433 B.C. and 400 B.C. So it's kind of interesting. His uh, ministry covered about 33 years. And like I say, he's the last of the Old Testament prophets. After Malachi, we find that Israel will go through a fairly lengthy 400 years or so without a prophetic voice. Because there's about 400 years separating the end of the Old Testament from the beginning of the New Testament. And so we, we go through a certain length of time where there is no voice. Now, of course, today we know that God is hard at work, once again, trying to reach the people with love. And it's our job as Christians to preach the truth in love to a lost and dying world. And God loves us all very much. And you'll find that God is a very gracious God. He's a very patient God. He's long-suffering But that does have a limit. One of these days, you're going to die. And when you die, it's going to be too late for you to get right with God. One of these days, Christ is coming back to this earth in a big event called the rapture. And when the rapture takes place, we Christians will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Immediately after the rapture, there will be no more Christians left on the earth. Can you imagine how sad that will be? No more Christians on the earth. They'll all be taken up into heaven. And great pandemonium, as you would expect, will break out. Now, the rapture is for Christians only. But it will actually affect everybody on the planet. Because bearing in mind, we have Christians today that work in virtually every vocational field there is. And so the world will be at a great disadvantage with the disappearance of millions of Christians. Amen. And pandemonium will break out. And this, in turn, will set the stage for the Antichrist. The Antichrist will come on the scene. He will seemingly be a miracle worker, a problem solver. And because of that, the first three and a half years of the seven years of tribulation will be relatively peaceful. Among other things, the Antichrist will tell Israel, you're perfectly free to return to temple worship. You're able to worship the Lord as you see fit. <laughs> now, of course, in the middle part of the tribulation period, about three and a half years into the tribulation period, the Antichrist will renege on that promise And that's why the second half of that tribulation period will be a time period in which all hell breaks loose. And uh, then that will culminate in the Battle of Armageddon. And like I say, all the enemies of God, all the enemies of Israel will be destroyed. And then this ushers in the Millennial kingdom. And like I say, by this time Israel will have repented and Israel will recognize Christ as the Messiah that was promised in the Old Testament. Praise the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. (laughs) Boy, I tell you, that makes a Baptist like me shout. Amen. So that basically is a brief summary of the minor prophets. And like I say, we can see that the message of the minor prophets is just as important as the major prophets were. And we will also see that in many cases, uh, what the minor prophets had to say was pretty much the same thing that the major prophets had to say the only difference is that the major prophets the major prophets um, had a lot more to say than the minor prophets did and they prophesied generally speaking over a very long period of time over a very long period of time. And like I say, we've already taken a look at the major prophets in our study through the Bible. Um, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel, these are the major prophets. But when you study their message and you compare it to the message that I just gave you of the minor prophets, in many cases it was the same thing the major prophets were preaching except this time it came from a minor prophet. And the minor prophets, the only thing that makes them minor is the fact they didn't have as much to say. (laughs) I think we've all known people down through the years that uh, seemingly spoke so little that when they did speak, people paid attention. And it was probably that way with the minor prophets. They didn't have a lot to say, and maybe they didn't speak often. But you know what? When they spoke, people listened. They might not have done what they were told to do, but they at least listened. And that's the important thing. You know, God hasn't called us to be successful necessarily. He's called us to be faithful. Um, In the Sunday morning Sunday school class or Bible study group that I'm a member of at my church, Uh, Last Sunday, we talked about Noah. Now, Noah was also something of a prophetic figure. He's not officially listed as one of the prophets, but Noah preached that the flood was coming. And the only way to be saved was to turn to the Lord. And the Bible tells us Noah preached that message for 120 years. And he didn't have a single convert outside of his own family. But, you know, that was saying something. Because those of you who have lost people in your family, you know that your family is a mission field. If you have unsaved people in your family, you know that it's probably going to be harder for you to be a witness to members of your own family than it is to witness to other people. They can be a very hard group to reach for the Lord. And yet, we find that we must do everything we can to reach those who are lost, whether they be members of our family or not. We must never give up. We must always continue trying to let them know that God loves them with an everlasting love and therefore it's very necessary that they do this i mean think about this folks people are going to hell every day every day people are dying and like i say when people die they go into eternity and in eternity there's only two places for a person to live one place is called heaven and the other place is called hell And if they're not a believer, if they don't believe in the Lord, if they're not a Christian, the Bible says they can't go to heaven. So there's really only one other place for them to go, and that's hell. That, by the way, should break our hearts. And that's why we should have an undaunted determination to reach a lost and dying world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, (laughs) I'm semi-retired during most of my ministry uh, my ministry was bi-vocational i had to do secular work in addition to the work of the ministry now i'm retired from secular work the only thing i do now is the gospel ministry and i'm also more limited now than i used to be uh, simply because of my health issues i'm more limited in terms of what i could do but i have determined That as long as I live on this earth, as long as God gives me breath, I'm going to use that to reach men and women, boys and girls, teenagers and young people, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now in the next broadcast, we will begin our study of the Minor Prophets in earnest. And... uh, we will start with Hosea now by the way we I don't know how many weeks we'll be in Hosea but we'll start Hosea and we'll stay in Hosea till we get finished and we'll go on to the next prophet which is Joel and I think you're going to find when you read Hosea and I want you to read as much of Hosea uh, as you can between now and the next broadcast and one of the interesting things you're going to find out about Hosea and we'll talk more about this in the next broadcast when we get there but Hosea had an unfaithful wife. Basically he had a wife that turned out to be a prostitute. And we're going to ask ourselves a question did Hosea know that beforehand? Why did he pick someone unfaithful to be his wife and we'll find out the answer to that question in the very next broadcast now if you have a Bible study question or if you have a prayer request I have uh, two email addresses and these two email addresses are basically the best way to contact me my first email address is warrenlandis at yahoo.com it's all lowercase and then the second one is also all lowercase. It's warrenlandis at gmail.com. And either way, I would love to hear from you. I'd love to hear what your Bible study questions are and your prayer request. And if you give me permission, I'll be more than happy to share your prayer request with our unseen radio audience so that they can pray with you. And I don't know about you, but I find it very comforting and reassuring to know that Christians around the world are praying for me. And I think you'll find the same to be true as well. Now, those of you that want to send me a snail mail, in other words, you want to write to me the old-fashioned way, that's right too. My mailing address is Warren Landis, 80 Thruston Street. That's T-H-R-U-S-T-O-N Street, Greenville, South Carolina, 29605. This is Warren Landis, 80 Thruston Street, Greenville, South Carolina, 29605. And if you feel that of the Lord before you close that envelope, you might want to see if the Lord wants you to drop a few dollars in there to help out with the work of this ministry. Uh, as I've pointed out before, I don't get a dime for what I do here at Sunshine USA. I come to this radio microphone every day, I don't get paid for it. But when I think of all that the Lord has done for me, when I think of all that God has done for me, then I don't need to be paid for it. (laughs) God has more than compensated me already, amen? And so I say that, simply say this, anything that you send in, will be very wisely used and very conservatively used to further the gospel of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Now, uh, uh, I think that brings us to the end of our program today, and I look forward to next time. And uh, you might want to contact me and let me know what this program means to you. And that's especially true if you've gotten saved listening to one of these broadcasts. I would really love to hear from you. Well, until next time, this is Warren Landis saying goodbye, God bless you, and guess what? I'll see you next time on Sunshine USA.